This is the Adult Explore the Bible Weekly Leader Training Podcast. This podcast is designed to help teachers prepare to lead a Bible study group using LifeWay's Explore the Bible adult resources. Each week, we review the Bible passage for that week's study. We examine some questions teachers may face and give some teaching tips along the way. This fall, we are studying the Gospel of Mark. I'm Amber Vaden, your host, and today I'm joined by Bob Bunn. Bob is our editor who works on the Leader Guide, the Leader Pack, and Quick Source. So he's a super valuable team member. He also leads a Bible study group at his church using Explore the Bible. So he brings with him just loads of experience and practical teaching um, ideas. Bob, thank you for being here. Absolutely. Glad to be here. Today we're looking at session six, so we are diving into Mark chapter eight, verses 31 through chapter nine, verse one. So we'll begin just with an outline of what is happening in these verses, and then we will uh, go into our questions. Uh, our hope is that this will give you just a, uh, a good overview of what is, what is taking place here, and then to look at some questions that perhaps would be raised in your, in your group time, and you'll know how to answer them. Uh, okay, so Mark chapter 8, verses 31 through 33. Uh, this is immediately after um, what's called Peter's confession, and that happened in verse 29. Um, Jesus began teaching the disciples that it was necessary for him to be rejected, killed, and then rise after three days. Peter pulled Jesus aside to rebuke him, but Jesus ended up rebuking Peter. He noted that just like Satan, Peter's thinking focused on human concerns rather than God's plans. In Mark chapter 8, verses 34 through 38, Jesus addressed a group of people explaining that following him required individuals to deny themselves, to take up their cross, and to lose their life for Jesus. He asked rhetorically about the value of gaining possessions while losing their lives. All who are ashamed of Jesus will find Jesus ashamed to claim them when he returns. And then finally, Mark chapter 9, verse 1, Jesus proclaimed that some standing in the crowd would not see death until they saw God's power. So our overall summary statement for this whole session, Jesus calls people to faithfully follow him. Okay, so let's jump into some questions. How was Peter's rebuke similar to Satan's temptation in the wilderness? First of all, I think it's helpful to reflect back on what actually took place in the wilderness. Um, we touched on it briefly in the first session, and we had to touch on it briefly because Mark touched on it briefly. He really didn't say a whole lot, except that Jesus was driven by the Spirit into the wilderness, and he was hanging out with wild animals, whatever that meant. Uh, so this is one of those deals where it's really helpful to look at, say, Matthew's account or Luke's account of the temptation. And when we look at that, we get those, we get the understanding that there was those three questions or those three uh, suggestions that Satan made while Jesus was in the wilderness. And so um, each of those times, Satan was basically, I want to I say encouraging, but it's in sort of air quotes, encouraging Jesus to show himself as the son of God, to prove that he was who he said he was, and to do it in a really public way so that people would believe him. Uh, but there was really a disconnect between what Satan was suggesting and what Jesus' mission was. Satan was suggesting all this stuff, and on the surface, as Satan's temptations often do, it sounded really good. 
It sounded really positive. It sounded like it made a lot of sense. But Jesus understood that his mission was not necessarily to do miracles or to draw a whole lot of attention to himself. His mission ultimately was to die, was to come and to sacrifice himself and become the payment for our sins. And that had to happen. Anything that he did besides that, performing miracles, his preaching, his teaching, the parables he told, the arguments he had with the Pharisees, all that stuff, that was just to set up the crucifixion and the resurrection. It was to point people toward what was coming. And so by if he had taken Satan's suggestions, then he would have been trying to accomplish something without the crucifixion. He would have been trying to, Satan was basically implying hey, is there a way we can do this without you dying? Because Satan knew that if the death and resurrection, that was the big deal. That was the, that was the kicker. If he, could, if he could get Jesus to avoid that, then, then he'd won the game. And Jesus was not going to let him do that. So fast forward to Peter and Peter's situation. Peter had been hearing Jesus talk about, hey, we're on our way to Jerusalem. I'm going to be persecuted. I'm going to get abused. I'm going to get uh, you know, beaten and... I'm going to get uh, persecuted, and eventually I'm going to be crucified. But I am going to rise three days later. All that kind of talk made Peter Peter really nervous because he had this idea of what the Messiah should be. He had this idea of a conquering hero. He did not want to talk about a suffering servant. And so it completely contrasted with everything that he had going in his mind. And so essentially he pulled Jesus aside and said, hey, let's not talk about this stuff anymore. Let's let's talk about defeating the Romans. Let's talk about setting up David's throne. Let's talk about all this really cool stuff. Let's leave all this talk about dying <laughs> for another day. And basically he was saying the same thing Satan was saying. Hey, let's do this without your death. Let's do this without your suffering. Yeah. And, and Jesus basically told him the same thing. No, it doesn't work that way. It's not going to work that way. It can't work that way. That's not the Father's plan. And so that's why he associated Peter's rebuke with the temptation in the wilderness. That's why he said, get behind me, Satan, because Satan through Peter, even though Peter probably didn't realize it, was was rehashing the same argument over and over again. He was just wrapping it in different Christmas paper. And Jesus was Jesus saw through it and said, no, we weren't going to do it then. We are not going to do it now. That's a really helpful explanation. Uh, so in verse 33, like you had just mentioned, um, Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. He goes on to say, uh, this is Jesus speaking. You are not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. Uh, that's verse 33. So how, as we read this passage and consider how we apply this to our lives, how can we make sure we are focusing on God's concerns instead of human concerns? I think we start by realizing that we can just assume out of hand that that we're thinking like humans, (laughs) that we're we're not thinking like God. That's just who we are. That's just how we operate. Uh, It's our default setting. You know, Isaiah said, God's ways are not like our ways and his thoughts are not like our thoughts. We just just aren't wired that way. Um, Sinful thinking, uh, thinking that that takes our own account into uh, our own feelings into account more than God's feelings. Um, that's just how we are. It tends to be who we are as human beings. And so, you know, that's why Paul said in Romans chapter 12, you need to have your mind renewed. You need to, you need to set yourself up to where you're, you're starting to think, or as, as, as Paul said in Philippians, having the mind of Christ, 
Uh, you need to think the way Jesus thinks. We can't do that on our own. As a matter of fact, if we're left to our own devices, we're, we'll just come up with twisted thoughts and twisted ideas. Uh, we, we need him to renew our, our thinking. And so how do we get to the point where we think like Jesus thinks or we think like God thinks uh, and goes completely against who we are as people? Well, uh, God's given us some great tools to do that. First is his word. And these are all going to be Sunday school answers. So gonna, we're not going to shock anybody with this. This is not going to be a newsflash. But God, God's word is the place to start. Um, as, we, as we read his word, as we spend time in his word, we realize two things. Number one, we realize what he expects of us. Number two, we realize how, how our actions and thoughts contradict what he says. And so we can then, once we realize how far astray we've gone, we can, we can start to rectify and reconcile uh, our thinking with his thinking. Uh, I think prayer helps as well. Uh, prayer is what keeps that connection between us and God really strong. It's another way that God speaks to us and, and, and communicates with us. Um, and I think there's a sense in which as we pray and as we lay things out before God, basically say, hey, God, here's what I'm thinking. What do you think? If something's, if something's amiss, if something's askew, I think the Spirit, God's Spirit can put this little catch in our, you know, in our mind and in our hearts. And we, it makes us stop. It makes us slow down. And we say, hmm, okay, I might be heading the wrong way on this. And then I think the other way we do it is we connect with other people who are trustworthy and who are godly, who are great mentors, who will call us out when we need to be called out, who will hold us accountable when we need to be held accountable. They can help us kind of clear up this fuzzy spiritual thinking that we might or otherwise lean into and trust, and they can point us back in the right direction. Proverbs says, don't lean on your own understanding. Obviously, that first and foremost means leaning into God's understanding. But as Henry Blackaby says in Experiencing God, God often speaks through other Christians. Yes. And so we need to hear what they have to say. We need to take that seriously. And if we're, if we're hanging around the right kind of people, we're going to hear the right kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to be able to help us move away from this human-centered thinking that, that kind of leans toward our logic and lean into God's thinking, which is eternity, eternity thinking. Yeah, that's really helpful. Yes. So if we continue going uh, down through this passage, we get to verse 34. And here, uh, Jesus is talking to the disciples and to the crowd. Um, What is at the heart of his teaching in those two verses, verses 34 and 35? This is some really hard stuff. (laughs) Denying yourself, taking up your cross, following him, losing your life uh, so that you can gain eternity. This is not easy stuff. Sometimes we think that, that Jesus is uh, this mystery man, that, that somehow we need this, we need to go to the bottom of the cereal box and pull out the decoder ring so that we can understand what in the world he's saying. The truth of the matter is, Jesus is often really clear. <laughs> Most of the time, he did tell some parables in order to kind of hide the truth from people who, whose hearts weren't, weren't really into it. But by and large, he he said it like it was. He said exactly what he wanted to say, exactly how he wanted to say it. Um, he laid it out so that anybody who had ears to hear would listen and would plug into what he was saying and would walk away with with a, with a knowledge of how to apply it to their lives. And I think that's exactly what he's doing here. He had, he had heard Peter's rebuke. 
he had turned around and rebuked him in return. And so, as you said, now he's turning not just to the disciples, but to the crowd that was following along with him. And he's, he's explaining to them, okay, so you think you're a disciple. Let me tell you what being a disciple, let me tell you what being a follower of me really means. And what it really means is death. Yeah. He uses all kinds of death language <laughs> in these two verses. It's amazing. Uh, he talks about denying yourself. Well, that's a, that's a sort of a death statement. He talks about crucifixion, picking up and carrying your cross. The very idea of that would have terrified a first century Jew. They knew what crucifixion looked like. They knew what it meant. And they it wouldn't be something that they would necessarily embrace and, and run to. Uh, he talks about losing your life uh, so, that, so that you can gain eternity. Losing your life for the sake of the gospels. Losing your life for the sake of Christ. That's... That's what discipleship means. Uh, you know, if you talk about denying yourself, you're talking about putting yourself on the back burner. You're talking about giving up what is valuable to you so that you can embrace what's valuable to God. This idea of dying every day means my own way of doing things has got to go by the wayside. Uh, I've got to get beyond who I am. Um, and that, the interesting thing is the, the idea that we lose our lives, even though we're not physically, necessarily physically losing our lives, although some of these people would. Some yeah. of these people actually would literally lose their lives for Jesus. We aren't really called to do that in our, in our culture, in our context. But that's what being a disciple is. And I think in his grace and in his wisdom, Jesus was just letting them know, Hey, you need to come into this with eyes wide open. If you're, you know, if you're, if you're thinking this is going to be some kind of pleasure cruise, uh-uh, no, it's not going to work that way. This is going to be hard and this is going to be painful and this is going to be uncomfortable and you need to know that going in, but the payoff is going to be incredible if you can stick with it. Yeah. He, he was not one to sugarcoat when it came to talking about the Christian life. Not at all. So how, how do we, again, as we look at this passage and think, how do I uh, apply this to my life? How do I live it out? Um, what does it look like today to, quote, deny ourselves or take up our cross? What, how should we think through those ideas? Yeah, they're really two sides of the same coin. Uh, denying yourself, taking up your cross. Um, I, sometimes I'm, when I'm working, I get to work with teenagers some, and, and I'll ask them, you know, which is more important if you, I'll show them a quarter, I'll say, which is more important, the head or the tail? And they usually have an opinion for whatever reason. I don't know how they come up with these ideas, which is which, but, yeah. but then I tell them really both of them are equally important. If you try to cut the quarter in half and have heads and tails, you've ruined the quarter. You've made it worthless. They have to, both of them have to be there and both of them have to be functioning for it to be effective, for it to be valuable, for it to be worth something. And that's what we're looking at here. The coin, uh, the coin is, is losing your life for the sake of Jesus. That's the coin. One side of it is denying yourself. One side of it is taking up your cross and following Jesus. And so that's, that's important to understand. Um, you can't divide those two and still be effective. Now, the way I, the way I like to think about the difference in, is that Denying yourself is an internal thing while carrying your cross 
in following Jesus is more of an external thing. I like so, that. Yeah. yeah. I like that. So, so you think of it to deny myself happens on the inside. It's a commitment that I make inside of me. I can't, I can't deny you, Amber. <laughs> Only you can deny you. Right. Only yeah. I can deny me. You know, our listeners, they can only deny themselves. So we have to be the ones. It's very personal and it's very internal. Uh, it's very spiritual in that sense that that this is something that has to happen inside of us. This has to be transformed. We have to start from the inside and move out. And so denying ourselves is the commitment that we make within ourselves to say, I'm going to leave it all, everything else behind. And I'm going to move forward with Jesus following what he says. Now, what happens is when we make that commitment, it oozes out and it it affects the way we behave. It affects our actions, our attitudes, and our words. And that's the carrying the cross. That's the part that the world can see. It's the external side of it. Um, We live our lives. We live out the internal commitment that we made externally in a way that the world notices the word, the, and it really is attracted to. It becomes a winsome experience for them where they're, it, it's appealing and they begin to see that despite all the sacrifice and despite all the things that we endure, there's something different there, something that they really long for. Uh, the God-shaped void idea that that they, they have something that needs to be filled and they see it being filled in us by the way we carry our cross each day, the way we live out yes. our faith each day. Now, as I said, you can't have one without the other. You can't make the commitment and then not act it out. And you can't act it out without really making the commitment first. And so those two have to go together to make it work. But if it's if we do it right, if we do it this way, that's how you, in the book of John, Jesus talks about him being lifted up so that he can draw people to himself. If you're If we're doing this, then that's how we lift him up. And that's how he draws people to himself because the world sees him the way he actually is, because we're reflecting him the way he actually is. A big part of our problem these days is Christians don't reflect Jesus very well. <laughs> we, we give a lousy reflection, and the world looks at us and says, no, that's okay, I'll pass. If we reflect him well, though, they can't help but be attracted to him. Yeah, it's really, it's, a, it's a lordship issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, is, is he our Lord? Are we allowing him to be our Lord? Um, and to put our priorities aside and put his priorities front and center. Um, it, so it, it becomes an issue of that. That's good. Uh, okay, final question in chapter 9. If you keep going through the passage, chapter 9, verse 1. What does it mean to see, and this is the, the phrase that's used in verse 1, the kingdom of God come in power? Mm-hmm. What does yeah. that mean? Yeah, it's really... It, Whoever whoever came up with the ideas of chapters and verses, th- this was an odd break because chapter nine, verse one, really goes better with the end of chapter eight than it does with the beginning of chapter nine. Um, having said that, uh, theologians and scholars, they when they look at this idea of the kingdom coming in power and people being around to see it, they there's two basic ideas. One is he was talking about what was getting ready to happen immediately after this. Because when you get into verse 2 of chapter 9, you're getting into the transfiguration where Jesus took Peter, James, and John, three guys who were there when he said this in verse 1. They were present at the time. He took them up to the mountain 
and they really did get a taste of heaven. <laughs> they got to see things that nobody had ever seen before. They got to see the kingdom. They got to see Jesus as he really is in all his glory and all his majesty. And so the scholars say, well, that's what he's talking about. He's just letting folks know that, you know, in just a very short amount of time, some of you, three of you, are going to really see the kingdom in a way that you've never seen it before. Other scholars say that he's got, he's going a little bit farther into the future. He's going to the, past the crucifixion to the resurrection. That, that there was going to be people standing there with him that day who were still going to be around and would see him in his resurrected form. And really, to me, this, this really makes more sense than the mountain, the transfiguration theory that, because to me, the resurrection is the ultimate example of the kingdom coming yeah. in power, uh, that the, the kingdom coming to earth the way it is, because everything depends on the resurrection. You know, Paul, yeah. Paul said in first Corinthians 15, that if the resurrection isn't true, then our faith isn't true and that we're really stupid and that, that we need to be pitied above, uh, more than anybody else in the world because we're, we're living out this lie and we deceived ourselves. So the resurrection is really, everything hangs in the balance with that. And so there were going to be people there, disciples, obviously, probably other people in that crowd. You know, Paul also said in 1 Corinthians 15 that, that Jesus appeared to hundreds of people at a time. You know, hundreds of people over the course of the 40 days after the, after the resurrection. He made himself known to people. So there was a lot of people who were going to see him in his, his resurrected state. And they would get a chance to see the, what the kingdom looked like. And tied to that is, of course, the next step is Pentecost, which is where the Spirit came and, and you know, the church was born and heaven came down <laughs> in an incredible way. And so that's, to me, that's sort of, if the resurrection is 1A, then this is probably 1B. The re- Pentecost is 1B. They go together. Some people will separate them out and say, well, you know, this is a third explanation, maybe. But for me, they, those two go, they're hand in hand. But this is, you know, that, this is where this idea of the kingdom coming in power comes. It could be either one. It could be both. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. But I think that's, it's, it's, there's definitely something to be, to be said for these. That's a helpful explanation of the two, two, two different ideas of what scholars think that could be referring to. So that's a good, that's a good answer to that question. Uh, for our group leaders out there who are listening, uh, I did want to just point out uh, something to just to bring it to your attention as you lead your group this week and as you prepare uh, to lead your group. The key doctrine this week is uh, especially just a good one to spend a, a minute on. Uh, so the beginning of this passage, uh, we had Mark chapter eight, verses 31. Uh, well, I guess mostly verses 31 when he was trying to help his disciples grasp what was about to happen. He would be, uh, he would suffer, he'd be rejected, he would be killed, and then he would rise. Um, he was trying to communicate some some pretty big truths uh, that they were just not quite grasping fully because, I mean, how could they? Uh, but he is, in just a, a very succinct sentence, he's saying what he came to do. So our key doctrine this week is God the Son uh, in his substitutionary death on the cross. Uh, he made provision for the redemption uh, of, of men from sin. And so this is exactly what that's talking about. So if, if you have just a minute and want to spend um, 
spend a little bit of your group time on it. That is a great doctrine to kind of unpack and kind of explain. There are some some ter terminology or language in there. It just means that Jesus took our place. He took our place. And, and because of him, he he chose to, to pay our sin debt uh, and provided for our redemption. And so you don't have to use uh, the language just as is given in the leader guide if, if that's really not... Um, something that would sound natural in your group, uh, but you can just explain that in, in very basic terms. But it's a good, it's a good doctrine and valuable to, to bring to your attention, bring to your group's attention. Uh, okay, so from time to time in the podcast, we mentioned different resources in the Explore the Bible family. Resources like the Leader Pack, the Adult Commentary, and the Quick Source are just a few. Uh, you can find out more about all of the Explore the Bible resources on our website at goexplorethebible.com. Uh, that will take you to um, a page that kind of lists all of them. You can choose uh, a specific quarter that you want to look at, and it will show you everything that we have available. Bob, thank you. Um, it is always nice to have you with us. Uh, so thank you for taking time this afternoon to do that. Happy to do it. Anytime. Uh, next week, we will discuss Mark chapter 9, and our guest host will be Mike Livingston. He's another member on our Explore the Bible team, uh, so it will uh, I can just assure you it will be very good, uh, and we hope that you will join us then.